Hey guys, this is Andrew. My guest today is Amal Kulkarni, Chief Product Officer at CrowdStrike. When you think of large and modern publicly traded cybersecurity platforms, CrowdStrike is probably the first or second name on that list. Today it has two and a half billion in annual recurring revenue, actually more than that now. But when Amal joined the company nine years ago to lead product, it was really just a startup with only six million in ARR. And he's really seen the full journey and all the market evolution that's happened along the way. Amal has incredible depth across both business and technology and uses this to outline all the trends that govern cybersecurity today. We cover how threats and buyers' mindsets have shifted over the years, where the opportunities are for new vendors in the face of consolidation. And as it relates to AI, we speak about how CISOs are dealing with the risk of deploying AI-powered products and the AI-driven attacks we're already seeing. And of course, where LLMs are most likely to play a role in cybersecurity products and teams. As always, the key takeaways from our interviews are on ctlresearch.com. But if you're here to listen to the full audio, I hope you enjoy it. Amal, it is such a pleasure to have you on. Great to be on, Andrew, and great to chat with you. Awesome. Where I'd love to start is a bit on your background, but maybe with not just the general overview, one more specific question, which is people may not know, you did not actually start in cybersecurity before joining CrowdStrike, which ultimately became one of the largest and most successful and important cybersecurity businesses. And so as a starting point, I'd love to hear more about having not come from cyber, how did you find the company? What in your background mapped well to what they were doing and, and what got you excited about it? Yeah, great question. As you said, I was not in cybersecurity before coming to CrowdStrike. I spent quite a bit of time at Microsoft in a variety of different areas. Mostly, I consider myself to be a platform product person. Mm. And a lot of that came from the varied experience that I had at Microsoft, both on enterprise software as well as consumer cloud, in a way, I would say, as part of my work at Bing. The connection to CrowdStrike came about very, very serendipitously. The executive recruiter who was... who George was working with to hire for the VP of engineering role at CrowdStrike had placed my younger brother and he asked my younger brother for a reference and my brother said, yeah, let me talk to my uh, elder brother and see if he might be interested. And cybersecurity was a passion of mine, yeah, even though I had not worked in on it, I always had interest. I said, yeah, I would love to chat. And one thing led to another and was honestly super excited with the kind of investment CrowdStrike had made, even in those early days in a core architecture, making, creating a platform that was beyond a single product. Uh, and that was honestly what was super aligned with my approach and what was super exciting for me. The other thing was really the focus on attackers and, and threat actors and making sure that the aim and the goal was stopping breaches, which, which I, I did not know at that time, but at that time, the industry was not the existing industry. People were, or companies were not really successful at that. That was great. That customer focus and the focus on stopping breaches was a key part that attracted me. That mission was super critical. Yeah. And we'll get into it more, but I love the story. Let's see. Funny. Maybe just to continue on the, the CrowdStrike story at founding, what was the business in the early days? And we'll get to what it is today, but where did it start? What was the core idea? When CrowdStrike was started by George Kurtz and Dimitri Alperovich, they took some pretty big bets. First and foremost was delivering cybersecurity or securing your workloads from the cloud. And back in 20, late 2011, when the company was started, that was a huge bet, right? Cloud was not mainstream. Leave aside people being comfortable putting their telemetry, workload telemetry into the public cloud and into a SaaS service. 
that was a big bet and very much foretelling what was to come with the transformation to the cloud. And it was cloud only rather than saying, hey, we have an on-prem product that you can run and manage, but also we have a cloud option. CrowdStrike from the very beginning said, we are only going to do cloud. That was huge. Second part, which is core to cybersecurity was the how. A lot of the incumbents at that time were all signature-based and focused on antivirus, focused on prevention first, if you will, which by definition is a reactive model, right? You can't build signatures for an attack that has not happened yet. Mm. And when new payloads come in, new binaries come in, that's when the signature providers can create signatures. And so it was by definition reactive, which means you could not catch any zero days. The approach that CrowdStrike took was to say, we will be signature-free. We'll focus on behaviors of the underlying software or the underlying operating system. Focus on behavior to determine what malicious behavior is happening. Mm -hmm. And in parallel, connect that with predictive machine learning and AI, which was another big bet very early on when AI was not really mainstream as part of cybersecurity. That behavioral model and AI and ML together was the core on which the protection was based. Mm. And then the third important thing was, it was a model of visibility first. By that, what I mean is whenever you're trying to secure something, let's say you're securing your house, you're putting going to put cameras around your house, around the perimeter to see what's going on, right? If you don't know what's going on, you're not going to be able to de detect that and something malicious is happening, leave aside preventing. And that's where the, the concept of EDR was born, uh, endpoint detection and response, to collect telemetry first, get a full understanding of everything that's happening on the workloads, and then look at what out of that is malicious. It was visibility, then detection, and then prevention, mm. rather than prevention first approach that the legacy vendors were taking. Okay, makes sense. And I, I think that when people think of the cloud being an innovation, maybe I'm wrong, but as I understand it, the name CrowdStrike came from insights from the crowd. And in a lot of ways, the cloud was really just a tool by which you could collect uh, those insights and distribute them more quickly to people, so centralize where the analysis is happening. It was maybe, maybe people appreciated the cloud deployment model, but that was a secondary benefit. Is that the right way to think about it, though? Uh, I think it was both. The challenge with doing these on-prem servers was absolutely right. The crowd was not present because you were creating silos, even if you were collecting data. Even if you if we had EDR, but then were deploying the servers, the management side on-prem you basically would be creating different silos for each customer and the benefit of the crowd would not be there. The idea of what we call as community immunity would not be possible, right? If you detect an attack happening or some malicious activity happening with one customer, learning from that, creating a defense and inoculating the whole customer base very quickly would not be possible with uh, siloed data. Mm -hmm. So centralizing that telemetry in one place in the cloud was critical. And that's where the crowd came from. Absolutely right. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then maybe fast forward to 2023. CrowdStrike is a, I think, $35 billion public company. <laughs> 
as of today, one yeah. of the most interesting stories in cybersecurity turned out to be a good bet to take at the time on your behalf. But maybe just give us a sense for what CrowdStrike is today and how the business has evolved. CrowdStrike today is obviously focused on the core of endpoint security, but has expanded beyond endpoint. And the focus is really on complementing endpoint security with cloud security, which is where some of the biggest challenges exist today. And with the digital transformation journey, that's a workload that's expanding very rapidly. CrowdStrike has made significant investments in cloud security while keeping the principles the same. All of the things I talked about, the core principles on which the company was founded have been consistent all along. And even as CrowdStrike has applied those to additional workloads. The second a very big bet that CrowdStrike has taken is focusing on identity security because majority of the attacks today originate with account takeovers, account compromise, are, are identity-based attacks. Mm -hmm. CrowdStrike has the industry-leading identity security, ITTR, and prevention suite or, or set of products out there. That's another major big bet in terms of expansion beyond endpoint. And then the third thing is around expansion around the periphery, specifically on IT and security operations, where the, the goal and the focus was bridging the gap between IT and security and focusing a lot more on proactive security. Mm. Got it. That, those are some of the things. Obviously, there's a lot that the yeah. platform is bigger. I haven't talked about some of the other things, log scale which is enabling web scale log management at a very efficient way Again, SaaS delivered. Yeah, sure. Effectively trying to replace the, the SIM or maybe couple it uh, to some, some degree. It makes sense though. And I guess just contextualize those product innovations, if you will, because as things don't happen in silo, you're head of product constantly on talking to customers. What about the cybersecurity market changed or what were the governing rules when you joined and what did those look when you leave? Where are we today? I think cybersecurity... When I joined, there wasn't really an awareness of what were what was needed to block or stop the breaches. Mm -hmm. I, I would say there was a void in the industry overall, and that's why the bet that uh, CrowdStrike took was very successful. It was because there wasn't really other vendors, and there were some other companies along with CrowdStrike who were taking the EDR first approach who were also successful, though not as much as CrowdStrike. Mm. But the big thing I would say at that point was breaches were happening. Breaches have always been happening, right? But it was very much a reactive approach back then. And, and the more importantly, customers just did not have the tools to get to a point where they could protect themselves, right? They're just mm. the products didn't exist. The second thing is there wasn't really a true, true platform for cybersecurity back then. And the legacy vendors, McAfee, Symantec, and others had suites, but not an integrated single platform. Yeah. And CrowdStrike's approach of creating a platform was really groundbreaking from that perspective. Also, I think from the attacker's perspective, the threat actor's perspective, they were, the threat actors could be broken down into specific categories. The nation state actors, e-crime actors, and so on. That was fairly discrete silos in some sense mm -hmm. at that point um, among the attackers. And the nation state actors were, I would say, less 
less efficient than what they were today. They are today. That's, I would say, what the state of cybersecurity was back then. Yeah. Fast forward to today, I think the things are very dynamic. First and foremost, those silos across the attacker groups have disappeared completely. The, the lines are blurred, as we've talked about, as, cyber, as CrowdStrike has talked about in the, threat, the Global Threat Report, is that those lines have blurred significantly. The techniques that were advanced techniques that were available to nation-state actors in the mm -hmm. past are democratized, quote-unquote, and available to pretty much everyone, including very small e-crime actors. That, that changes the game quite a bit. Even nation states are focusing a lot more on e-crime because they are using those attacks and the money they are acquiring from that to fund their countries in some sense. And so that's a huge shift. Yeah, first and so first. Yeah, you cannot really partition attackers in clear boundaries in a way. The, the second part is obviously the one metric that we talk about, that CrowdStrike has talked about, is the breakout time which is the time required for an attack to escape out of a single box or a single machine. Mm. That if it's limited to a single machine, it can be contained very quickly. But once it expands beyond and moves laterally across to other machines, it's very difficult to then mitigate or contain the, the attack. And that breakout time continues to reduce very rapidly, especially amongst the advanced attackers. And that, that's, it's a huge shift from where it was back in 2014. I think from the perspective of attacks, the, the game has changed quite a bit and it's become far more difficult. Huh. Also, the attackers are not just focusing on particular companies for IP or even for economics. We've seen attacks on, directly on democracy, on election systems as well as attacks on core national infrastructure, the colonial pipeline attack, for example. Mm -hmm. That is another big shift, I would say, since back when I joined. And I have to ask a couple of questions on what you just said, because it's super interesting. When you say there's much more capability in the hands of small groups, mm -hmm. where does that come from? Did they, is there like a big open source community? Is it, just help me understand how that's happened. Yeah, all of these attack frameworks now are available on the dark web for pretty cheap, very low cost. And many of these are also available as a service. There's ransomware as a service, basically including all of the cloud hosting that an attacker can just spin up and, and they just need to direct it. The infrastructure gets stood up, the attack happens, the infrastructure gets taken down very quickly after the attacker has achieved their objectives. It's pretty sophisticated from that perspective. Interesting. And, and then what about the breakout time? What is driving that down? I think it's, again, the ability for attackers to do much better recon on the attacked subject, as well as being able to overcome the limits that have been placed, being able to move laterally very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I know we were going to talk about LLMs in the negative sense a bit later, but I think it's a perfect time to bring it in because on both of these two factors, the sort of capability in or leverage in bad actors' hands, but also in autonomously operating throughout an organization and spreading horizontally, it feels like there is real risk here in the power of these LLMs to power autonomous agents, whatever it ends up being. I'm just curious, what is your reaction to that statement? Do you agree with that? What have you seen there? How do you think about it? 
CrowdStrike has talked about and, and our data science teams have blogged about how attackers are using AI to create attacks that morph and adapt. And far before LLMs, what was the case was these were limited in some sense. We had recognized the threat all along, but the cases in the field were few and far in between. And, and the reason was because attackers would have had to train a model specifically targeted to cybersecurity, which means mm. they would have to connect data. That, that was a big hill to climb in some sense for the attackers. With LLMs being present and being cross-domain, if you will, without needing and basically incorporating unstructured data and everything, without really needing to be trained specifically for every individual domain, that becomes far less of a challenge that mm -hmm. the creating the attacks using LLMs is a far bigger risk now. And AI-based attacks are increasing and will continue to rise. We've already seen those in phishing attacks, which it's very hard to discern that yeah. this is actually a phishing attack. Even if you are, you're seeing two emails or two web pages and say, hey, one of them is a phish, it's extremely difficult to distinguish between those, even when you are actually intently looking. And now take it back to when you are, say, doing your own, your day, day job and just getting things done and in a rush, it's very easy to get fished. But that's just a tip of the iceberg, I would say, for where AI-based attacks will go. And unfortunately, I'd say the worst is yet to come on that front. Yeah. It, it is really scary. I mean, I feel like I'm relatively technically competent and having a, call, a conversation with you about AI and cybersecurity. But I got a call yeah. from some guy who sounded very American from the South, from Bank of America, I think it was, and said my full name, pronounced it correctly. And then I, of course, called the number and it was some foreign call center and realized what it was. But I was oh my God, the quality of voice generation now is just, and it's the ability to write text is going to be, it's going to wreak havoc. I think about my parents, for example, they're going to get in their 70s and 80s and then yeah. How are you possibly going to be able to determine this stuff? It's crazy. I think consumer cybersecurity is a whole different, yeah, whole different challenge in this realm. Yeah, it is. Anyway, we'll save that for the next time. The other sort of, one of the other categories I wanted to talk to you about on the negative side of LLMs in cyber is this LLM driven awareness around data loss through these chat interfaces. A lot of CISOs saying, no way in hell are you using ChatGPT in this organization. God forbid you, you post something in there. Part of me is I feel it's a little bit overblown because look, people have been posting data into web forms for a very long time and you never did anything about it. And then suddenly you think that now it's a problem. But how do you react to that? First of all, do you think it's a real problem? Are you seeing people react at scale in a similar way? Just how would you summarize that? Yeah, I think I, I agree. A lot of people are reacting to saying, don't use LLMs. I, I would say a lot more on the developer side right mm -hmm. now where a lot of companies are saying, hey, you can use uh, LLMs to generate some code, but you have to be very strict about what code you get and what you do with it and how much you inspect it, how much you reformulate it or want to make sure that there are no inadvertent bugs that are coming in, which I think is, is crucial. Likewise, on the sort of corporate data perspective and leveraging LLMs to find more information about a certain attack or certain things. I, I think the risk is definitely there in terms of sending the data over. It, it remains to be seen how the big cloud providers 
adapt to that, right? Because adapt to the privacy and the security challenges to make sure that they reassure people that the data goes only for, say, leveraging the LLM, not for training and it's not stored. You saw what Zoom went through with their privacy policy changes and then what their CEO clarified and then mm -hmm. they updated their policy. Say, hey, we're not using data for training. And those are some of the things that ChatGPT or Microsoft and Google and one will need to clarify either one way or the other to provide that assurance that it makes it far easier for CISOs to say, okay, yeah, we are okay with this kind of information. But it is hard. It's always important to restrict, especially when it's about customer data or mm -hmm. uh, sensitive internal data. It's, it's important to have those safeguards in place. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think about your, your comment on um, Zoom pulling back from collecting this data, and you think that's going to happen across the board. OpenAI got smoked on that, not yeah. being positioned well. Yeah. It feels like that problem is going to solve itself. Yeah. But I, I do think, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, data security is, people know about the market now. It's evolved a lot in the last four or five years. I know, I think CrowdStrike, correct me if I'm wrong, has some stuff there, but it feels like there might be a positive tailwind for that market to say, look, now you're a little more aware of people posting sensitive corporate data in certain locations, whether it's GDPR regulated or just sensitive generally. Do you agree with that? Or do you think it's the, the fifth tailwind behind four other much more major ones? No, I think data security is the ultimate goal in, right. in a way. If you're able to secure the data at scale, then the rest is done in a yeah. way. I, I would say the products that are out there today, we've seen the iterations on DLP and the challenges with it for quite some time. There is definitely a space there for a more forward-looking solution that tackles data security in a very consistent way and is not sensitive towards labeling of the data and can take a much broader swath at understanding what data is potentially sensitive or maybe even taking a, a broader umbrella saying no data should go to X location, right? There's a variety of different approaches that can be taken around data security. And and yeah, there'll be new products out there that, that will be tackling data security in a much more robust way. Well, you've seen nothing on the market today. I was surprised to hear you say that you've been impressed that you think well solves that problem. I wouldn't say that there are definitely quite a few startups who are doing some things there and looking at more innovative approaches mm. acquired secure circle a couple of years back for that innovative approach one of the innovative approaches there's definitely pockets where such innovation is happening but i i don't see yet a comprehensive solution out there that has been delivered okay fair enough the last piece of this sort of preventative side of llms i, I want to talk about is this issue of effectively sanitizing prompts and securing ai driven products and i think that it actually it might be broader than just the LLM case from companies that are starting out doing, making sure data is not manipulated in your models. There's the, the, of course, the prompt injection stuff, output management to ensure you're not saying anything bad about your competitor or whatever. What do you, what have you seen there? Some of these feel like mark products looking for markets. Maybe they will be market, maybe they will never be, but how do you think about this set of problems? Yeah, I think the problems are definitely valid, uh, but LLMs can be speculative, right? We've seen that. And so I think two things, as you said, first to ensure the prompts are not modifying the, the behavior of the LLM, if you will, or the outputs of the LLM. 
and the prompts are sanitized to a certain extent. Yes, there are companies out there who are trying to do that, but I believe, I feel like that's a domain-specific problem. While the domain specificity has moved out of training the LLM, it will remain on the prompt ingestion as well as on the output side. And those, I believe the approach will be to put some guardrails in place that the outputs, the inputs are sanitized and the outputs are conforming to a model, if you will, right? A model in the sense of a data model, not a AI model, but the data model itself that whatever the output is can be sanitized in an automated way and validated that it is within the realm of the framework and expected values that you, you basically filter out speculative output from the LLMs. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Makes a ton of sense. I want to transition to, before we get into the positive side of AI and LLMs as, as integrated into cyber, I want to just talk about the issues that govern people's buying decisions today. Labor is one of them or the lack of that. There are plenty of others, but how would you enumerate the top three or four things that matter to people? Yeah, I think the biggest and most important, obviously, is cost, right? At the end of the day, anything that the company is doing on cybersecurity or maybe or many other things is in a way a cost center and taking away cycles from their core business. Anything that customers can do, enterprises can do to reduce those costs is going to help with their efficiency. Now, that said, I think that's one of the biggest things. But what happens today is there's a lot of alerts. There's a lot of alert fatigue. There is, there's a lot of inefficiency and complexity in the work that SOCs have to do. And from that perspective, individuals are under a huge amount of pressure. And frequently, they cannot get to all of the alerts. They cannot investigate those. They cannot tackle those. That, I think, is uh, one of the biggest challenges. The second part is lack of the skills, right? The cybersecurity skilled people are just not available. The, the, mm. the workforce is just not there compared to the needs. You see there's so many open positions out there just because the skilled force workforce is not present. And that skills gap has to be addressed systematically. Of course, AI and LLMs will be able to help with that. And we are seeing the products go in that direction. But that's one part of it. The second part, of course, is investing in training and education and building up that skill set and workforce. The alert fatigue thing, I feel like I've heard that thing for six, seven years now. It just feels that just continues indefinitely. And look, maybe the labor thing is a slightly newer one, but it feels that's also been around for yeah. a very long time. Like, yeah. Do you actually see these things being ever well solved or are these just going to be the kind of long-standing problems we always come back to? That's a great question. I would hope that we can solve this. Definitely generative AI is a paradigm shift in that direction. If we can build out the these this functionality, what CrowdStrike has with Charlotte AI and, and all of the different co-pilots to make the data accessible, to make alerts far more understandable and even evolve it towards taking automated actions that a uh, lot of the manual work that SOC analysts have to do is taken care of, that can definitely change the ball game if done significantly. This is very early days, but I see a very 
big potential here in changing the game there that the SOC analysts can truly focus on countering, say, hands-on keyboard activity from attackers rather than automated attacks from attackers. Mm-hmm. So it could make it where humans are focusing on counteracting humans on the other side and machines can counteract machines on the other side, then it's a much more level playing field. But for that to happen, the challenge here is that with an attacker, if they leverage AI, they can have false positives or false negatives, doesn't matter, right? If they have one hit or one out of 100 hits, they're still having an impact. On the defensive side, you cannot even have, you you need to have a false negative rate that is zero practically and a false positive rate that is very low in order to be able to counteract that. It's the bar is very much tilted in, in terms of the complexity towards the defenders having to do a lot more. And that's been true for AI all along, right? Not just generative AI. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the, the classic saying is they only have to get one one shot in and you have to block every single one. It's a bit more challenging. And to take a, a very cynical view on the AI stuff, to your point, you have to have a very high level of accuracy, precision to be able to do this effectively. The other thing I would say is generally people just say, we want to apply AI, not really knowing what that means. And then realizing that the, the problem they needed to solve was actually a data problem. And yeah. it doesn't matter how good the AI is, if there's LLMs or whatever, if you don't have the data centralized in a SIM or in your the CrowdStrike log scale product, it's just never going to work. I guess, how much of you of, of this do you think is more of uh, less of an AI problem and more of just a, a sort of data organization problem? And, and then we can get into some of the, where you actually see promise, but I just want to take a very sort of uh, yeah. cynical view uh, at start. It's a valid question. The first and foremost is definitely a data problem. And that's what CrowdStrike did with saying, hey, we need EDR first. We need visibility first. We need the data to be put in one single thread graph first before you can gather insights. That's absolutely valid. That's required. I would say that's a table stake by now to have that data in one place and have that data understanding. What is crucial is to make sure that companies are leveraging such platforms, that they are not dealing with the just the data visibility or data understanding problem. If they do take advantage of platforms and it's good to see the industry evolving in that direction with the multiple platform companies being created is that problem can be tackled and customers don't have to worry about that that they can focus on leveraging various techniques but but i would say the one key thing that is important is products not be focused just on generative AI or just on one technique. Products have to, defending products have to leverage all the techniques. Take an all of the above approach, which CrowdStrike has taken from the get-go. That you use the technique that is suitable for the particular area that you're trying to defend and layer different techniques on top of each other that you have the, you have a robust set rather than just putting all eggs in one basket. And we've seen other companies who tried to put all eggs in one past basket and not and, and basically fail to mm-hmm. grow out of their, their niche. Right? Makes sense. And then on the, to take now the more positive view, what are those functions 
And this may require you to explain a little bit about what happens in a SOC day to day. But what are those functions that you think LLMs well solve? As I think about it, they enable you to write code and interact with systems with English, which I can imagine be helpful in a few different areas. There's sort of summarization, maybe of threat intelligence, gathering right. of information about alerts. But what are those functions you think that LLMs will do really well in and create a lot of value in in cyber? This co-pilot approach, you have the LLM running beside you and doing a lot of the work that you would need to do. Once a SOC gets an alert, they have to dig into it to say what happened, which machine is being targeted, which user is being targeted, what is the kind of technique being used. That, that whole triage and investigation time that is needed does require collecting data and insights from a variety of different places and potentially from multiple products as well. If you don't have all of that telemetry integrated into one place. Mm -hmm. And even if you do, dealing with some of the complexity associated with the telemetry is crucial. Making triage and investigation approachable and reducing the manual burden, I think is a slam dunk. And that's what we are seeing across the board now with a lot of the products that are out there. But the second part then is, as you said, natural language query, unlocking the power of the data set whether it is Intel data, whether it is activity data is huge, right? Those data sets are much larger in scale. They're not easily queryable. Mm. And if LLMs can be used to target the querying in the right place. That's fantastic. Of course, the underlying data sets have to be queryable at scale, but, but then LLMs can help the human beings not have to understand all of the complexities of the query languages on So decoupling from the query languages, if you will, and making it far more easier using a natural language query to understand it and get the insights quickly. From a approach perspective, I think that approach is a cybersecurity assistant approach is, yeah. is very much valid. And I think it'll go a long way in helping close the skills gap, helping make SOC analysts be transition from a tier one analyst, if you will, to a tier three analyst. A lot of the automated work can take care of the tier one and even the tier two triage and investigation. Makes a lot of sense. And and, and you said on, on the, the first thing you were talking about, you, you've seen a few things already working well and, and being used in products. What exactly has been deployed far? I didn't realize that it was already at that point. CrowdStrike has Charlotte AI, which we launched a while back. And there are other competing products. Microsoft has Copilot. Basically, this approach of making things available, I believe Google has something on Chronicle as well, essentially helping customers make sense of the data they have in their data lakes or in the cloud data lakes is something which is gaining steam and, yeah. and building up towards a lot more deployments and a lot more adoption. Yeah, I love it. Really cool. For the new vendors looking at starting in this market, you know, I feel cyber goes through these waves of consolidation and then point solutions and consolidation. It feels yeah. we're, to your points earlier, uh, on the value of platforms, particularly in this data integrated age, we may be heading into a wave of consolidation. And where my mind goes with that, let me know if you disagree, but I'll, I'll assume confirmation on that. <laughs> but do you think that there are pockets of opportunity for new vendors to still succeed? Are there effectively distanced enough markets where the platform companies that CrowdStrike are not interested enough, or are there ways that new vendors can enable these platforms to do better? Where are those distinctly non-platform opportunities? First and foremost, I think we, we are now at an age where 
for the first time, I would say in cybersecurity, we have a few companies who have true platforms, which has not been the case in the past. I think that's definitely, in a way, a barrier for some of the smaller companies and startups. But the, the cool part about cybersecurity is the attacks are constantly evolving. The attack surface is constantly increasing, monotonically increasing, sometimes even exponentially increasing. I've said in the past, there is nothing, nothing gets obsolete in the enterprise. All right. Unlike consumer, you have mainframes and you have container workloads or more advanced uh, functionless workloads. And so on. It's that complexity is never going to go away and it'll c continue to increase. New technologies come in that adds to the attack surface. From that perspective, the space is always going to be there for startups and new companies to come in and focus on areas which are not being focused on by the large platform companies. In that sense, I think it's true any other realm, cybersecurity is similar, although it's unique as well because it evolves very rapidly. You take some of the other realms that the techniques evolve far more slowly. And, and new classes comes in or new shifts come in, say, in a decade or few years. With cybersecurity, new classes of attacks are discovered practically every year. Yeah. That, there's a lot of space where startups can build their niche and then continue growing into other areas as they become bigger. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do, do you think that it is now critical, given the concentration of data and sort of the value of having it centralized, as a new company entering the cybersecurity market to, to effectively have integration with a platform with CrowdStrike as a core part of their strategy? Or is it possible to operate independent? It would be smart for startups to leverage these platforms, right? CrowdStrike has CrowdStrike Store, enabling companies to build applications that can leverage the telemetry that's collected, mm. of course, with appropriate customer opt-in. But that enables sort of companies to accelerate their journey, especially where platforms are open. Companies should take advantage and integrate, leverage these platforms wherever they can to accelerate their journey. Mm. If I know you're not going to do this, but if you were to start a new company today, where would that be? Oh, <laughs> lots of different areas. I'd say one area that's, that's near and dear to my heart is just around proactive security. Yeah. And we've done, we've taken, we've come a long way on, on active or runtime security with, with all of the work we've done on EDR and, and detection. But I think we're still a long ways away from reducing the attack surface in an automated way. And all of the work that's going on around exposure management is great to see. A lot of focus there. And, but there's still a lot of open space there that I hope companies can focus on. And that's solve. effectively. Take, taking the known vulnerabilities that, that may exist in your organization and automatically remediating those, just to make sure I understand? No, actually, more than that. There is vulnerabilities and remediation, but that's, again, that's chasing a, a very difficult target. But if you think about from how a company has deployed their resources, whether on-prem or in the cloud, what are they using in terms of what code are they using, from where is the code coming? what accounts have they provisioned, what access rights those accounts have, what network paths are enabled. Just overall taking that attack surface and saying, this is over-provisioned, this is unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Trimming everything down to the bare minimum that is required 
for the application to function in in a normal way can bring down a lot of that attack surface in a very significant way. And even if there is a vulnerability and you're not able to patch it, which is the reality for a lot of customers, you're still protected because those services are not reachable from an external perspective. There's a ton of work that can be done um, to to proactively reduce the attack surface and reduce the exposure. Got it. Got it. I wish we could talk for another three hours about all these different ideas, <laughs> but I know we're at time. Amal, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Likewise, Andrew, it was great chatting and fantastic set of questions and, and depth that you have. So I really appreciate the time and the opportunity to chat. Thanks, Amal.